Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us at for Church at Home this morning. This morning we're starting a new series. Coming out of the Lenten season leading up to Easter Sunday, it's time to now shift gears and get into a new series. As you probably know, we typically spend a month or two or sometimes three or seven. Um, here at Grace, we spend chunks of time walking through a series at a time. Sometimes that looks like working our way through a book of the Bible in one big chunk, and other times that looks a little bit more topical series um, on a theme or, or some sort of lead up to a season. Um, but this one, we are going with more of a topical series, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited for Pastor Scott to continue after this, to take us through it. Pastor Shay's going to take a message down the road. Uh, Pastor Austin's going to take a message down the road. So we're divvying this one up a little bit, but I'm excited for that. If you have spent any time at all reading the Bible that we find in our possession today, the one that we have here in 2023, it's gone through a lot. Um, you will know that there are some things in there that will make you wonder. There are some things in there that will be like, they'll cause you to ask, what does this even mean? I, I just can't even comprehend it. Um, there's some stuff that scholars are even debating about and all this sort of stuff. The Bible is a complex book. Perhaps it's some of the wild rituals and practices that we have just explored a little bit in our journey through the book of Leviticus. Pastor Scott did a great job sort of painting the backdrop for what's going on on the grand scheme of this, this interesting time in the, in the relationship between God and the Israelites. It's just a fascinating book, hard to get through, but he did a great job painting that sort of picture. Or maybe it's some of the apocalyptic literature, the end times language found in the book of Daniel or in the book of Revelation that, that cause you to go, what is going on here? Or perhaps it's some of the prophecies or other stories of kings and judges and all that stuff through the New or the Old Testament. There's a lot of stuff in our Bible that makes us go, hmm. And I think sometimes we actually gravitate towards some of the books that we would maybe consider a little bit of an easier read, or at least a little bit easier for us to wrap our minds around. Namely, the letters of Paul, some of the other New Testament letters, the accounts of Jesus that we find in the Gospels. But even in those writings, there are things that can be just utterly confusing. There are things that are tricky to find, even amongst the things that Jesus is teaching or sharing with his disciples or parables that he's telling, there's some things in there that are just a little bit difficult to understand. So specifically, this series, we're going to be looking at some of those things, the difficult words of Jesus. Now, we're not going to encapsulate all of those words. We're not going to be able to get through every 
single difficult thing that Jesus said. And I think difficult is probably a bit of a subjective term. It's some, some people might look at a passage and be like, oh yeah, I think this means that. I think I, I think I can understand that this is what Jesus is getting at. And others might be able to look at that same passage and have no hot clue. Some of them are up for a little bit of debate, up for a little bit of interpretation, up for a little bit of wrestling, like followers of Jesus have done with for millennia. Scholars have done with. But this series, we're going to be going through the difficult words of Jesus. And before we do that, I think there's two things that are really important to know. Two things to kind of understand before we get in there. The first thing is this. Context matters. You've heard this before. It was drilled into me at Bible college. I wish it was drilled into me more at before Bible college. Pastor Scott, we've done a great job, I think, of, of illustrating this point over the past number of months and years that context matters. You have to understand what is going on to understand where he's getting at. It's, it's the same as it is today. Context matters in, in our world today too. And I think a lot of things over the past few years have probably been taken out of context and maybe caused some harm because they were taken out of context. But I could take basically today, I could, I could Google news, the top articles of whatever's going on in the world today. And I could take one or two lines out of that article and probably be able to spin that article to say just about anything that I wanted to say. I could take it in many different directions based on which one or two lines I took, which things I decided to emphasize, to focus on. Now, obviously, the correct response would be to look at the greater picture of what was being written in the article to understand what the original intent was. But on an even greater level, the entire article itself may not be representing the full context of what was actually taking place in whatever story or event they were covering. Some probably are better at this than others, but it's just so difficult to paint the picture of pretty much anything in just a few short words. I think this then becomes even more challenging yet probably even more important to try to understand when we're looking at writings from, from nearly 2,000 years ago. As Pastor Scott has mentioned in several messages over the past little while, when we open our Bible, it's almost as if we're reading someone else's mail. So while we take a glance at some of these weird one-liners or snippets of what something that Jesus was saying, understand that there's more going on here than even we are able to see in our strict our scriptures without further digging and also understand that that those scriptures that we have today the niv translation the esv translation the nrsv whatever you you read and and hold to as as sort of your primary go-to stuff understand that that's a translation of a translation that was written down probably well after the time that the events actually took place, that there's, a, there's some history, there's some story, there's some, now I believe that God has is, is got his fingerprints all throughout that process, but, but there is, we're reading someone else's mail in a different language that was, there's maybe a little bit of a gap in time between when it took place and when it was actually recorded, at least in the fashion that we have it today. It's a complex, complex book, but understanding and digging through that matters context matters when we're not gonna, we're going we're gonna to look at some of these one liners and you're going to see quickly that that if you take them as a standalone thing at face value it's really hard to wrap your mind around and digging into it a little bit can be really helpful and the second thing is this i think it's super important so the, number 1 is context matters number 2 is this it's super important to understand and remember that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi 
He was a rabbi. He was a Jew. He grew up studying the scriptures. I'd like to imagine that he was a pretty good rabbi, but, but maybe not. I don't know. I think some of the religious leaders of the day that had some problems with some of the teachings that he was doing, with some of the rules that in their eyes he was bending, i.e. Sabbath, i.e. all sorts of different things, he kind of came to reset the law or to tweak the law a little bit. In, in a lot of ways, he anteed up the law. But I imagine that the religious leaders of the day were probably a little upset, so I'm not sure they would have thought he was a good rabbi. But it's important to know that he was a rabbi and that rabbis used all sorts of techniques to get their point across in teaching. One of the main ones, and one of the ones that we'll see a lot in this series and also throughout the books that we read um, when we're studying the scripture, is hyperbole or a dramatic overstatement to make a point. If we were talking about the Jets game last night, now I'm recording this earlier in the week, so I know that the Jets play, I think they play on Saturday. I know that they play on Saturday. I have no idea what happened in the game. Also, I'm a Leafs fan, shoot me. Um, hopefully we're not shooting ourselves at this point. But um, if we were talking about the Jets game last night and I said to you, oh man, they just got killed out there on the puck battles. They just got killed in the corners. They got killed. You'd understand right away that I didn't literally mean that they, they, they died on the ice. I di they didn't literally die on the ice in a crazy battle. Uh, you know what I meant. There's a, there's a hyperbole, a metaphor. A hyperbole is just that dramatic overstatement to make a point. I would hope that you recognize that that's a hyperbole. Um, a dramatic overstatement. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 24, um, Jesus is giving some pretty harsh warnings to um, some of the teachers of the law about hypocrisy. And he says in 23, 24, he says, You blind guides, you strain out not but swallow a camel. First of all, I don't know what a knot is. I had to look it up. It's like a little, little, little tiny insect. Um, but a camel, I do know what that is. I think you probably do too. And it's not a little tiny insect. It's a huge animal. It's a huge beast. Um, hyperbole, right? We know that. We can, we can look at that statement and say, okay, obviously Jesus is trying to say something here. But He's probably not saying that they literally were swallowing camels. Dramatic overstatement to make a point, a technique that was used by rabbis all the time and by Jesus on many occasions. So just keep that in the back of your mind before we get too far into some of these words of Jesus today and through this series, that context matters. And Jesus was a Jewish rabbi who liked to use hyperbole. All right, we cool? Great. <clears throat> One last thing before we get into it this morning. This this morning's topic maybe at face value isn't as difficult to um, necessarily interpret or understand what Jesus is getting at. It is a hyperbole, hyperbole in a sense, but but it's not like at face value as tip, difficult as some of these next ones are. But it, it's one of those ones that I, I think the difficult words of Jesus might apply to both difficult of understanding and also maybe difficult to actually practice, to put into our lives. So this one I think maybe follows in both categories, but more so in that difficult to actually apply to our lives. And comparing it to some of the verses that we're going to get to, some of the ones that are around me, there's more that um, we're going to get to in, in, in a little while over the next, I believe we're doing nine weeks of this. Um, there, this one's kind of tame. Let me give you a, a bit of a teaser to some of those other ones, some future ones that you want to think about it. Jesus says at one point, let the dead bury their own dead. 
I'm sorry, Jesus, what are you? I don't understand. He says at another point, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Um, yeah, okay. We're going to have to have a word here, Jesus. Uh, the next one, or one of the other ones that we'll touch on is, is and he says, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds more like it's from the Game of Thrones books than it does the mouth of Jesus. One last one as a teaser. He just straight up says, you belong to your father, the devil. Okay. <clears throat> easy reading, easy preaching. No problem. Stay tuned for the next couple weeks. This morning, if you have your Bibles with me, if not, they'll pop up on the screen. Um, these verses that we're going to go through, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Reading from verses 21 to 27, it says this. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets a long time ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. And it says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone. That's part of the passage that I've never actually noticed before this. He strictly warned them not to tell anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day to be raised again to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, and my words, sorry, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the glory of the angels. Truly I tell you, some of who are standing here today will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Okay, so unpack that. Um, lots here. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus is, is having a seemingly pretty chill conversation with his disciples. They were in private. They were at some time of prayer that they were uh, partaking in. Um, it wasn't one of those big amongst the crowds teaching moments. This was an intimate moment. So much so that like Jesus actually said, don't tell anybody else about this. I'm going to tell you something here. It's something that I've actually been hinting at a little bit, but don't, but don't tell anybody yet. He makes his first explicit prediction of his death, at least according to the Gospel of Luke telling his disciples that he will be betrayed into the hands of men, killed, and then rise again on the third day. And I think this is a significant moment in, in Luke's gospel narrative as it, as it marks the beginning of more of a focused emphasis on Jesus' impending death and resurrection. We're in chapter 9 here. It's not the first time that Jesus foreshadows his death. He actually sort of begins to hint at his impending death much earlier in his ministry. 
And this theme becomes increasingly prominent as, as the gospel narrative unfolds. For example, in Luke 5, 33 to 35, Jesus compares himself to a bridegroom who will be taken away, suggesting that his time with the disciples will be brief. And then in Luke 6, 22, 23, he speaks of the persecution and rejection that his followers will face, indicating that, that he himself will face similar treatment. He actually predicts his death again for the second time a little bit later in this chapter, the end of Luke 9. And then again for the third time later on in Luke chapter 18, he tells his disciples that he will be delivered to the Gentiles, mocked, mistreated, and crucified, but that he will raise again on the third day. So we're at this pivotal point, I think, in the gospel narrative where Jesus is shifting the focus. It's a bit of a turning point in the neighbor, in the narrative. In this chapter alone, Jesus goes from commissioning his disciples to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick the beginning of the chapter and then he gets into this this crazy there's this this story of him feeding the 5,000 um, with a few loaves and fishes two fishes um, fishies I don't know fishes to sharing the moment with his disciples where he reveals that he is going to be killed what a dramatic sort of like chapter what a dramatic sort of ramp up in this in this book then it's the transfiguration which is also crazy we'll get into that another time but thankfully, he lets him know that he will be raised to life again on the third day. But I try to picture myself in the disciples' shoes. It's a pretty chill, maybe Tuesday afternoon. I have no idea what day of the week it is. It's a pretty chill, chill afternoon. They're just chilling, praying. And then all of a sudden, this guy, this teacher, this rabbi that they've been following him just commissioned them to go out and do all these amazing things. And then, and then he's like, <clears throat> hang on a second. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. They don't like me. They're not going to like what I'm going to do. They're going to die. I'm gonna, they're going to kill me. But I'm going to raise to life again. How do we handle being in that situation? I think it's pretty shattering. But he's not just like telling them this and leaving it at this. He then actually takes their job description, basically, and makes it a little bit more intense. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. This is the portion that I want to focus on this morning. As I've been thinking about this passage and trying to dive into the actual picture, trying to dive into the scene that Jesus was was speaking to his disciples. I've been struck by the fact that the statement wasn't necessarily just directed at his disciples, but it was directed so much more broadly. He didn't say to them, if you guys want to be my disciples, take up your cross, get ready to die, take up your cross and follow me. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever, Whoever wants to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourselves. I just told you that I'm going to take up a cross. I just told you that they're going to kill me on a cross. And that I'm going to raise again in, in, in a couple days, but I'm going to take that cross, but you got to take up my, that cross as well. Whoever wants to be my disciple, take up your cross. Deny yourselves. 
that invitation path extends past the original few guys that would have been gathered with him that day. Whoever. So I've been thinking. Surprise. I've been thinking, what does it mean for us to fit within that whoever? What does it mean for us to be disciples in today, today in 2023, to deny ourselves? What does that look like, to not deny ourselves and take up our cross? Now, I think it's obvious that Jesus isn't making this statement in such a way that he was suggesting everyone who wants to be his disciple must literally die on a cross. It would be kind of challenging to do that. That's where the, the hyperbole come in. He comes in. He was, a, he was a good rabbi. He's making this dramatic overstatement to get the point across. Now, for some people throughout history, and even in our world today, martyrdom or dying for your faith is a very real thing. I'm not downplaying that. That It might be applied a little bit more literally to some people that have probably died on crosses in the name of Jesus. But that probably isn't the case for us here today watching this video. This invitation, this call, this demand, whatever you want to call it, does cause me to wonder. Do we take the call of being a disciple of Jesus seriously enough? Do I? It's a hard question to answer. We gather at 280 Karen Road every week. We do church. We live in community. And if I'm honest with you this morning, completely honest, I hope I've been honest with you up until this point, but if, I'm, if I continue to be honest, I would share this, just, just an honest thought. And it's kind of dark, not dark, but it's like it, I think it's kind of deep. It's something that I've actually been wrestling with for a long time. For years, really. But I love this church. I love Grace. I remember the moment that Pastor Scott and I first met in person to discuss this possibility. It was almost eight years ago exactly. We sat down in a coffee shop in Brandon, started to talk about some of the options, the possibilities. He's getting to know me. I'm getting to know him more a little bit. Um, and I was excited. I remember the weeks after that, in, in, in the lead up of praying through whether this was the, the best fit. I, it, everything seemed to fit together perfectly at the time. And I was excited. I love this church. I love this opportunity. I love that I get to work here. I love our community. I love that we have people gathering online and, and in person on a Sunday morning that, that have a faith story and journey all over the place. There's people that are in the building on a Sunday morning that have been here since the building was erected. There's people that have only been here a week, a two weeks, three weeks, just first-time visitors. There's people whose faith has been firm and deep for the majority of their lives. And there's people that are still asking questions. There's people that are figuring it out. They're not really sure what this is all about. There's even people that maybe had a deep faith at one point and have had some pinholes put into that, that are asking questions. Good, healthy, strong questions. 
but they're at this point maybe where this is this might be the last straw. This might be the last church that they they give a kick kick of a can to. I love that we have all these beautiful people coming under one roof and gathering in community. And I love our pastor. I love Scott. I love his teaching. I love his leadership style. I love that he approaches scripture so honestly and respectfully and and does it due diligence in the research and the studying and in the presenting. He makes it applicable. He, he, he just does it and he leads us in such a good and healthy way that I think actually really is attractive for a broad audience of people. I think we have something special going on here, Grace. I believe that. But this is where that honest thought comes in sometimes. Sometimes I wonder as I go through my weekly routine, as we as a church family go through seasons like the season we just went through. Then we'll go through the spring season, we'll go through the summer season, we'll go into fall kickoff season, we'll go into Christmas season, we'll go back into the beginning, we'll do Easter again. As we gather here online or in this old building, sometimes I wonder if we aren't putting on a master class and missing the point. When Scott and I were talking about the series and the map for it, this, this passage wasn't actually included in it. And he said, you can go wherever you want to go. You can do a different sermon. You can, you can start the series off. Um, and it was on a podcast a few weeks ago that I heard this passage being talked about in sort of a different context. But I had been thinking about it a lot. And I said, this is, this is it. This is, the way, this is, I think, the way I want to start the series off. Because the reality is that the call that Jesus makes in this passage is a really difficult one. It's a really difficult one to fully wrap our minds around. And it's a really difficult one to live out on a daily basis. <coughs> Excuse me. But I think it might just be one of the most worthwhile things that we can do. We can get so caught up in the weeds of comfort and preferences. And while I don't think that the call of Jesus here is for us to just live a crappy life, a not enjoyable life, where we don't focus on ourselves at all, where we don't focus on, on some of the things that make our life enjoyable. I don't think that's the call. I think there are seasons in where we can shift more of our focus inward, more of our focus outward. Life is really all about seasons. It's really all about seasons. It's all about balance, as Pastor Shea had sort of talked about last week. But ultimately, the cost of being a follower of Jesus is our lives. It's everything. It's denying ourselves. It's risking our comfort. It's taking up our metaphorical cross and putting on a focus that, uh, putting a focus on the things that matter most to God. Can I give you a little hint? as to what that might be, the things that matter the most to God. It might just look a little bit like the person next to you. Or the person, if you're sitting this, watching this on your phone, or listening to a podcast, a version, or, or at work, or wherever you might find yourself, Sunday morning on the couch, it might be that coworker on Monday morning. See, the, the, the things that matter most to God are people. All of his creation. 
So this call, this call to, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, is something that's really tricky. But I want to close with asking this question. This question that I've been pondering recently. And this isn't a, a message to sort of beat you up or feel bad about yourself. It's a message to maybe cause us to think bigger as a, as a community, as individuals and a community. What does it mean to be followers of Jesus in 2023? It's a question that we'll ask every year. We'll continue to continue to reflect on it. But I want to close with this question. Not that past one. This one. If you are a follower of Jesus and you woke up tomorrow and for whatever reason you were no longer a follower of Jesus, maybe not necessarily due to a big event or, or anything else, but just boom, yes, today and tomorrow you're, you're popped into another realm and, realm, uh, and you're not a follower of Jesus. Would your life look anything different from how it has recently? Would how you look at your calendar, would how you would how you go about your daily, weekly, monthly routine, would would how you view people, would would it would it look any different than it has recently? And I don't necessarily expect you to have the answer to that question. Maybe it's an easy yes for you. Maybe you you wake up and you're like, oh, free. I can, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever, you know, whatever that looks like. But maybe it's an I'm not so sure. Or maybe it's a straight up no. It wouldn't look that different. If that's the case, if it wouldn't look that different if you were not a follower of Jesus, can I ask you a question? What is being a follower of Jesus actually costing you? Because that's the biggest take-home that I have from this passage that's so difficult. Is that call to action that Jesus shares with his disciples in that private prayer meeting many years ago. That being a disciple of Jesus will cost you something, if not everything. That our lives should actually be different because we follow Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we have to, to, to completely blow everything up. We're going to talk a little, in a little few weeks about go and sell everything. And Spoiler alert, I, I don't think we actually have to go and sell everything. We don't have to flip our lives completely upside down from how we're living them today, but it, it should cost us something. Because the call to being a disciple is to deny ourselves. To take up our cross daily. It should cost us something. It doesn't mean that we have to hate ourselves. It doesn't mean that we have to, to think so little of ourselves that we never prioritize anything in our own life. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy life. But it should cost us something. So what is it costing you? I'm not talking about money. Although maybe that's a part of it. What is being a follower of Jesus costing you? Let me close by just repeating that last question. If you're a follower of Jesus and you woke up tomorrow and for whatever reason you're no longer a follower of Jesus, would your life look any different than it looks the past few weeks, the past few months?
call to action that Jesus shares with his disciples in that private prayer meeting many years ago is that being a follower of Jesus in this life will cost you something. So what's that something for you? God, thank you for our time together. Thank you that we can look at these words. Thank you that we can approach this book that was written thousands of years ago. God, this, this account of your life that was written a couple thousand years ago. God, this opportunity to come together as a community and study your scripture and, and these difficult passages over the next few uh, months is just an honor, God. And so I pray that you'll speak to us and through us um, as we go through this season of looking at these difficult words of Jesus. But God, specifically for this morning, I pray that, that we will all just take a moment to reflect on the call that you made to the disciples a couple thousand years ago to daily deny ourselves, to daily take up our cross. God, may we reflect on what that looks like for us as a church, for us as individuals. Is it costing us something? And God, if the answer is no, may you inspire us to become more like you by sacrificing a little bit more, sacrificing of ourselves a little bit more to look a little bit more like you, Jesus, because you gave it all. You gave it all. So thank you for that love that you poured out on the cross, Jesus. Thank you for the promise that you made to the disciples that, that you were going to the cross. But we know, you celebrated a couple weeks ago, God, that you're risen, that you're alive with us. You're working with us and in us and through us, God. So I pray for every person here, for every person that's watching this video, that they would know the grace and the peace and the love that you have for them. But God, they would, would, they, would they know that being a follower of Jesus isn't free, it's not easy, it costs us something. So may you speak to them as to what that something might be. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. I would encourage you, if you have any questions about anything coming up here at Grace, to check out the website, gracewinnipeg.ca. If you would like to talk more about this with myself, with Pastor Scott, with, with anybody else on staff, shoot us a message. I'd love to grab coffee, love to connect, um, and I, I just appreciate your willingness to just hear what's on my heart for the last few minutes. So have a great week. We love you. We'd love to see you in the building if you're comfortable. Um, 280 Karen Road, if you're not even in the city, um, maybe book a flight. I'm just kidding. Um, or do. I don't know. You do you. We love you. Thank you. Pastor Scott will be back next week. Peace to you.